morning. It's beautiful to, we're going to be reading in Matthew 12, so I'll give you a chance to uh, turn there. I'm going to be reading from the NASB, <laughs> um, but I just want to say it was beautiful to, to be able to see us as the body, pray with each other and, and, and glorify God in that and continue to glorify God in all things and that's his will for us to be thankful in all things. So, amen. So Matthew 12, 1 through 21. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions, how he entered the house of God and they ate and consecrated the, the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you, if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice you would have not condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue, and a man was there who was, whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable, then, is a man than a sheep? So then, it is, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and he was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them all, and warned them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out, until he leads justice to victory and in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Let's pray. Lord Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear more of your word, Lord God. And we pray that your word would speak to each one of us, Lord God, into our hearts and minds. And that we would be open to and be led by your Holy Spirit, Father. And prepare Jackie as he teaches, Lord God, your word. We pray for the children's ministry as well, Lord God, that you would bless them and keep them in your hands as well, Father, and that you would lead the teachers as well, Lord God. Prepare us for the rest of this day, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. And the children are dismissed. Have fun, guys.
So this morning we get to talk about the idea that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And one of the things we want to keep in the forefront of our minds, if you remember earlier in the book of Matthew, Jesus was Lord, if you will, over the forgiveness of sins. Similarly to that story, Jesus made the proclamation. You guys remember, my child, your sins are forgiven you. And everyone was aghast. And Jesus said, well, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven you or rise up and walk? But so that you may know that the son of man has the power to forgive sins, rise up and walk. Similarly, in this story, you have Jesus making the same declaration that the Son of Man, he is Lord of the Sabbath. And it's interesting why he would say this, and part of our understanding needs to come from what the Sabbath is all about. So in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible tells us that after six days of creation, God rested. Now, if we want to understand the Sabbath, we have to go back to that moment and ask ourselves, is it because God's exhausted? No. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's not exhausted. So when God rested, if we want to understand what's going on contextually with the Sabbath, God paused to enjoy reflect on and celebrate what he had done. So for those who follow the Sabbath, we ought to follow that same, those same ideas. We ought to pause to enjoy, reflect and celebrate on what God has done in our lives now, for them, as we look at Scripture in the Old Testament, the Torah gave us certain laws about the Sabbath. These laws about the Sabbath include everyone should cease from work. Now, when we talk about that idea, you need to remember God promised them double on the sixth day. So on the seventh day, they could rest. Now, unless you were greedy... You could easily take what God had provided for you and take the time to pause and enjoy and reflect and celebrate what God had done. Then the Lord said, those who profane the Sabbath must die. Those who won't take one day in seven to enjoy, reflect, and celebrate on what God has done were to be cut off from among the people. Shouldn't that be shocking to us? What, what would be shocking is that we don't spend seven days pausing to enjoy, reflect, and celebrate what God has done. One day in seven, that's, that wasn't crazy. Plowing and harvesting would cease. No fire was to be kindled in the homes. No work. Just focus on the things God had done in your life. And Nehemiah and Jeremiah, the idea was developed to stop carrying wares because what would happen is Sabbath was just an excuse to have a 
a uh, garage sale. So they said, no carrying wares. Don't pack up your stuff, walk out to Main Street, set up a booth and sell your stuff. Because Sabbath was a day set aside to enjoy God, reflect on what he's done and celebrate what he's done. But there were legal activities that were a part of the Sabbath and we have to remember those. Military campaigns. You guys remember Jericho? You remember how many days they marched around? That means they were marching on what day? Military campaigns were excluded. You know what else was excluded? Marriage feasts. You know what marriage feasts would last for? Seven days. Crazy, huh? Dedication feasts. Now, a dedication feast would set aside <coughs> the normal Sabbath, but a dedication feast would have two high holy days, usually at the beginning and the end, which would, which would act as Sabbath days when they were celebrating the feast. If you were visiting a man of God, you could set aside the rules of the Sabbath. The changing of the temple guards, they never stopped guarding, even on the Sabbath day. The priests and the preparation of the showbread, we'll talk about that a little bit today. They never stopped preparing the showbread. It was prepared on the Sabbath day. Sacrifices were offered, and the priests were working in those sacrifices even on the Sabbath day. So the duties of the priests and the Levites, they continued. And the opening of the gate called the Golden Gate. The eastern gate, which led straight into the city of Jerusalem, right up to the, to the doors of the temple, was always open on the Sabbath. Messiah is going to walk through that gate. During the time between the Old Testament and the time of Jesus, a couple of commentaries were written. <clears throat> Those commentaries are called the Mishnah and the Babylonian Talmud. And those two commentaries began to describe exactly what does God mean when he says not to work on the Sabbath. And so they wrote these exhaustive books describing the way things were supposed to be done. And so they, the scribes, Pharisees and Sadducees, set themselves up as Lord of the Sabbath. Until Matthew 12. And Jesus says, no. You're focused on all the wrong things. You've taken something that should be celebration and enjoyment and relaxation and you've turned it in to a list of do's and don'ts and that's not how it was designed. It was designed to have and for the people to enjoy physical refreshment in Deuteronomy 5, 13 and 14, it says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath unto the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your ox or your donkey or any livestock or, or the sojourner who is within your gates 
that your male servant and your female servant may rest just as well as you. Everybody got to enjoy the day off. It was designed to reflect on the things God had done. In Exodus 31, 13, it says, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. And celebrate what God has done. Deuteronomy 5.15 says, You shall remember you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Remember, celebrate that which God has done for you. So we have a little bit of the backdrop and the idea of the Sabbath. Now as New Covenant believers, New Testament believers in Jesus Christ, one of the things that is pretty well established by Paul, by the author of Hebrews, and by Jesus himself is our Sabbath has moved from a day to a person. Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest. In him we rest from all our labors. That's why Paul would write, some, day say that, some people say this day is holy, others say that day is holy. Paul says, I don't care what day you focus on the Lord, just focus on the Lord. Have your eyes drawn to him. Let's look what Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 1. So at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. The disciples were hungry, so they began <clears throat> to pluck heads of grain and to eat. This is lawful. Deuteronomy 23, 25 says, If you go to your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you will not put a sickle to your neighbor's grain. So you couldn't go harvest his grain, but passing by, if you were hungry, if you had need, you could Take the head of the grain and you could thrash it between your hands and eat. So we have the Pharisees watching and waiting. Verse 2, but when the Pharisees saw it, they said, look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath day. It's what's not lawful according to the Mishnah and the Babylonian Talmud. It's what's not lawful according to the tradition of men. It's not scripture. The scripture said not to work. Remember, they wrote this exhaustive uh, commentary on what work is. I want to say there's 23 chapters just in those books to describe what is work. And for them, threshing grain between your hands was work. You could take the head, but you couldn't thresh it. Threshing it was considered work by the traditions of men. So they're trying to say... This is unlawful by our authority. They're assuming the authority over the Sabbath. <clears throat> this is an important thing for us to recognize. And so Jesus answered them. He's going to give them a, a, a few comments. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered into the house of God and he ate the bread of the presence. He ate the showbread. Out of the temple. It's written for us in 1 Samuel 21. 
In 1 Samuel 21, 6, we read, So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day in which it was taken. So as Jesus is referring to this, he says in verse 4, Matthew 12, Remember how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, or for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Now there's a point Jesus is making, we'll see as he goes through the next several comments, but his point is this, and there is someone here greater than David. <clears throat> David did what was necessary, so it was need took place over ritual. Need is established to take place over ritual. David was able to do that. Now, some would say, well, that's David. But the emphasis is here on the idea that Jesus is greater than David. Look at verse 5. Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, <clears throat> the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Now, I'm going to tell you what's implied. And there is someone here greater than the priests. So the priests profane right there was exception for the priests they were to continue their work during the the sabbath day and so this idea he's the third one is coming up in verse seven so first david he he broke the sabbath and was not found guilty before the sabbath because need superseded the ritual then the priests they do it all the time the priesthood does it all the time and just like David, someone greater than the priests, greater than David is here. Then he goes on to say in verse, uh, uh, let's go to verse 5. Have you not read in the law how the Sabbath of priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Verse 6, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. So Jesus is establishing his authority. Much like the Son of Man had authority to forgive sin earlier, now, the Son of Man is saying, <clears throat> the way these, these, this argument is put together, he's saying he is greater than David, than the priests, than the temple. He is greater than David, than the priests, than the temple. He is establishing his authority <clears throat> over the Sabbath. Who wrote the law of the Sabbath? The Bible tells in Exodus, a finger of God wrote on uh, tablets, right? God wrote the Ten Commandments, of which the commandment to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy is one. Who's the author of that law? The one who is standing before these men. And he is declaring himself to have authority over that law. You remember when we did the Sermon on the Mount, he said, You have heard it said, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you, you have the word of God in flesh providing authoritative commentary on the word of God. His authority supersedes the authority of those who are gathered there. So he's saying, I am greater than the temple. Now, in the gospel of John, he's going to make this declaration. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. And to what was he referring? His body. Now, just as an aside, I just want you to think about this. Paul later would write, 
that you are the temple of God. Why? Because Christ is in you. Christ is in you. Where, where did God dwell? In the temple, right? In the Old Testament, he dwelt in the temple. Where does he dwell now? In you. You are the temple of God. We corporately are the temple of God, where the Spirit of God dwells. So Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm greater than the temple, greater than David, greater than the priests. And verse 7, <clears throat> if you had understood, I'm going I'm to give you a paraphrase, run with me. If you had understood what the word of God meant, you would not have made these mistakes. But he's God the word. No one better to give commentary on the word of God. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Hosea 6.6. 6. Remember the story of Hosea? Hosea, go marry a prostitute who will be unfaithful to you. And she was unfaithful to him. She bore him a child and then two others that may or may not have been his. Then she ran off after all her lovers. She was unfaithful. She abandoned Hosea. And so Hosea is prophesying. And the Lord says to Hosea, you are an example, an illustration of my relationship with Israel. Israel is an unfaithful bride. Hosea, Gomer, your wife, is an unfaithful bride. But in chapter 3, God says to Hosea, go get, redeem your bride. So he finds her in the back alleys, unwanted, unloved, uncared for, used up, abused, living a horrible life, and he bought her for half the price of a slave gored by an ox. That's an odd thing to know, huh? Well, Jesus was betrayed for the price of a slave gored by an ox. 30 pieces of silver. Gomer is purchased for 15. And he, he doesn't say, now make her earn her way back. You know what he says? Give her back all of it. Bring her into your home and love her. And this is the story of God's redemption of the nation of Israel. And he quotes from that story here, Jesus standing before them, guys, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I want you, like the tax collector, standing before a holy God asking for mercy, not trying to fulfill rituals. Do you understand? We can read about it in Isaiah chapter 1. And Isaiah writes about this, Isaiah 1 verse 11. <laughs> the Lord says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams, the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain or useless offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moons and Sabbaths and the calling of convocation. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. <clears throat> they have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. 
When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen because your hands are full of blood. Wash yourself. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes and cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Call out for mercy. How are we made right before a holy God? Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And Isaiah looked at the Lord and said, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. Lord, have mercy on me. And so they took a coal from the altar and touched his lips, and the Lord declared, Your sins are purged. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Ritual, the point of ritual is not that which satisfies God. There was a time in the history of Israel, they were just going through the ritual. And God's like, I don't want the ritual. I want your heart. I want the reality. I want what you honestly and truly and really have to give. And so the Lord wants this response. So, so Jesus, when he's discussing this, he's saying, don't you understand what it means? Haven't you read Hosea? I desire mercy, not your sacrifice. I want mercy. The Lord declares that if you will bid him to forgive you. He will forgive you. But if you come to do ritual, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give a thousand goats and two thousand bulls. And I'm going to, I'm going to set aside every day as a Sabbath day where I can focus on him. But you never have forgiveness of sin. The Lord is declaring, what are you doing? The ritual is not the thing. The ritual is not the reality. And why is it that Jesus can say this? It's in verse 8. Matthew 12, 8. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. I'll tell you how the Sabbath works. What did he tell us just previously? <clears throat> you know that chapter 11 and chapter 12 are not spread apart by, by years and years. Right? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why? Because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the, I'm the place you go for rest. We could wear ourselves out with all the ritual, couldn't we? All the ritual, doing, the, doing things as an effort to draw near to God, when what God wants from you is a plea for mercy. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. What did the tax collector say? Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. What did the other guy say? The Pharisee. You don't think he was full of ritual? <clears throat> All he could say is, oh, I'm so thankful that I'm not like that guy. Lord, thank you for not making me a dirtbag like that. 
But the dirtbag's the one who went away justified. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Learn what this means. But you have the guys who are the ones who wrote the book about what the Sabbath is all for. And so they're going to uh, put the test before him. Now, we've talked about this before. The time when Jesus is walking on the earth, there's never been a time like it. There's never been a time where you could, Jesus, Jesus did things and the apostles did things nobody else has ever done. Um, if that doesn't fit into your theology, I'm sorry. But nobody else has done what they did. In a moment, Jesus is going to take a man with a withering hand and his hand is going to be made right instantly. We pray for healing and oftentimes the healings we pray for take time, right? And I'm not denying that that's not the power of God moving and working. God has his purposes. But we don't see legs grow back. We don't see legs that were never used for the lifetime of a person suddenly have strength in them to stand. You ever seen legs no one's ever walked on? You know what they look like when you're 30-something years old? But Jesus said to that man, do you want to be made well? And he was made well. And he stood. Jesus did incredible things. Now the point is, they understood in their theology, no one can do these works unless they're right with God. So it would be impossible for someone to say something that was uh, something in total disobedience to God, like your sins are forgiven and then rise up and walk. Or like I'm the Lord of the Sabbath and then to heal a withered hand in the next breath. That's not possible unless what you said previously is true. Do you get what I'm saying? So as we look at at the scripture, it says in verse 9, he went on from there and entered into a synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. Shocking. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they're, they're prodding Jesus. They're trying to get him to do something that's wrong. But he's declared already, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm not you guys. I'm the authority on the Sabbath, not your books. I'm the one who designed it. And so he declares to them, it says at the end of verse 10, they said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So so that they might accuse him. They've set this man up as a pawn. Verse 11, he said to them, which of you has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? The scripture declared that this was lawful. It was lawful to take your animal out of a pit. Now, is the animal going to die in the pit? Probably not. It probably would survive overnight, and then you could take it out the next day. But the scripture (laughs) said if your animal fell into a pit, you could bring it back. It says in Exodus 23, 4 and 5, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden... You shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. Rescue him. Deuteronomy 22, 4. You shall not see your brother's donkey or ox falling down in the way and ignore them. You shall help him to lift them up 
again. You shall help them. So the scripture laid out, you can help. Don't you even help your animals on the Sabbath? The Lord is saying, you think more about your sheep than this guy. That this person with his withered hand. So the question is, is it lawful? Is it lawful? Jesus said in verse 12, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? And then with the authority of the Lord of the Sabbath, he says, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored like the other. So he had a withered hand. So again, this is a hand of someone who has never been able to use it. I had a friend in high school who uh, out riding dirt bikes one day got hit in the shoulder. There were two dirt bikes going off jumps on opposite sides. And the one guy hit the other guy, rear tire hit him in the shoulder as they were passing by each other. And his arm never worked again. Never got used to that arm. And by the time we graduated high school, so this happened in high school. By the time we graduated high school, that arm looked like a toothpick. It spent its whole life taped to his body. Couldn't move it, couldn't work it, atrophied. Uh, You know, it was shrunken. This man has a withered hand. And the scripture says, Jesus says to him, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hand and it became like the other one. Right Now, instantaneous healing. Jesus, he did this on the heels of saying he had authority over the Sabbath day. So for the scribes and the Pharisees, the issue is he must have authority over the Sabbath day or he could not do this. He could not speak a lie. And then move in the power of God. Fulfill the acts of Messiah. The point is the miracle demonstrates exactly what he is saying. And it confirms Jesus' lordship. Which is easier to say. I am Lord of the Sabbath. Or stretch out your hand and be healed. But so that you would know, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus does this work. And in doing this healing, Jesus is saying, you have no authority here. Now think about how that resonates with the men who have had all the authority for so long. Do do men who have had authority for a long time like being stripped of their authority? What's it say in the very next verse? In verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Immediately they started talking about how to kill him. Well, that seems like it's a lawful thing to do on the Sabbath. <laughs> do you see the hypocrisy? One of the amazing things, you know, that I think, I think if we can be 
in a place, right relationship with Christ, walking in uh, communion with him and in peace, at least for me personally, it's so easy for me to see all the contradictions going on around me. All the things that people say that sound good on one side, but they're contradicting themselves on the other side. It's, it's rampant today. It's everywhere. It's all men's clamoring, mankind's clamoring for power. That's all anybody wants. I don't care what group it is. They're all looking for power, for authority. <clears throat> but Jesus has all the authority. So it says in verse 15, so Jesus was aware of this and he withdrew. So it's not his time. You're going to hear Jesus say that a number of times, right? I'm not going to flirt with this. Not my time. These guys want to kill me. I'm going to go over here for a minute. So he departs from there and many followed him and he healed them all. Do you hear that? Now, I don't know, we can come up with a lot of theories about why that doesn't happen today. But I just want you to understand that doesn't happen today. I don't care what the billboard says. I've shared with you before. My uncle died of AIDS. And before he died, he went to a healing crusade. Because if the man's moving in the power of God, when Jesus healed them, he healed them all. And so he went and the man running the crusade would not even pray for him. Well, that's not the power of God. So <clears throat> there is something different. Is the difference us or is the difference them or is the difference God's plan and purpose? None of those things matter to me because what I want to do is just be obedient to what God's word says. How does God's word tell us to address the sick today? Bring them up, anoint them with oil, have the elders pray for them. Right? And so what do we do? We find sick, we bring them up, we anoint them with oil, we have the elders pray for them. We lay hands and we pray for one another and we comfort one another and we exhort one another. This place is not supposed to be heaven, but there will be a day when all those things will be right. And I trust Jesus Christ to do what he has always done. Amen? So there's a distinction. Jesus is healing them all and, so, and then he's ordering them not to tell anybody. I, I, I'm going to ask him. When I see him, I'm probably not going to say nothing. <clears throat> Job, Job. I, I, every time I say I, something like I'm going to ask God, I remember Job. I'm going to make my case before God. And then God shows up and Job just goes, oh, I don't have nothing to say. You're the Lord and I'm not. You know, but I think to myself, my goodness. Don't, don't tell anybody. You know, all them people ran out of there and told every stinking person they saw wonder if that was frustrating. But the cool thing is, every time Jesus saw the crowds, you and I, I don't know if this happens to you, but <clears throat> crowds exhaust me. 
So I'm not extroverted, that's Kathy. Kathy's energized by crowds. So the more crowds, the more energy she has. And the more crowds for me, the more energy is sucked from my body. <laughs> and so when Jesus sees the crowd, I see the crowd and I'm like, oh Lord, you know, empower me because I don't feel like I have anything left, whatever. And Jesus is moved with compassion. Knowing everyone there wants something from him. And he's moved with compassion. He never says he's mad at them. He's moved with compassion. Because he sees sheep without a shepherd. So we want to have that heart, right? No matter what it costs us, our cost is irrelevant. The point is, are we mimicking our Savior? Are we being like him? That's what we want, right? We want to respond like Jesus. It says in verse 17, so this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. <clears throat> Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. So Jesus, another scripture fulfilling the prophecy of Jesus Christ functioning as Messiah. Multiple scriptures in Isaiah. So it's probably a group of, of scriptures that, that uh, Matthew is putting together. Isaiah 41, 22 and 23 says, Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, <clears throat> that we may know their outcome. Declare us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter that we may know that you are God's. Do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. 42 in verse 1, Behold my servant whom I, have, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Who will confirm the word of his servant? Fulfill the counsel of his messengers who says of Jerusalem, she will be inhabited or of Judah, they will be rebuilt and I will raise up their ruins. The Lord through Isaiah is talking about, listen, being able to see the reality of what God is doing. What is God doing? He's pleased. In whom? His servant. Isaiah 53 is called the, the prophecy of the suffering servant. Now, once upon a time, Israel saw that as her Messiah. Today, Israel sees that as themselves. That Israel, the Jew in the land of Israel, is the suffering servant. But if you read Isaiah 53 and you don't see Jesus on the page, you don't have eyes. Lord is pleased. This is my servant. I have chosen him, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. And my spirit is upon him. The fulfillment of Isaiah 61. <clears throat> and he will proclaim justice to the gentile he's going to make a way 
light unto the Gentiles. In 19, he goes on, Matthew 12, he will not quarrel or cry aloud. He will not, uh, nor will anyone hear his voice in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. In the hands of Jesus, the battered reed is not discarded, but restored. And the smoldering wick is not put out, but rekindled. Like Hosea 6.6, he is in the business of redemption, of redeeming that which is lost. This is what the Lord of the Sabbath has come to do. Now the people are going to turn their face. The, the leadership at this point, things are going to shift. We're going to have a lot more antagonism toward Christ and desiring to destroy him. But the message from Jesus in Matthew 12 is clear. I, the son of man, the one who sits next to the ancient of days in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I, the son of man have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Authority to forgive. <clears throat> authority to heal. Authority to teach you what it is to find peace. So come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But that rest does not come through ritual. That rest comes through relationship and that relationship is predicated by one simple action lord have mercy on me a sinner and he will justify you he will forgive you the bible calls it repentance the message that jesus preached was repent and believe Turn, change your direction, turn to Christ, and he will give you rest. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for the opportunity that we have to come before you. So thankful to bring you honor and glory in the things that we say and do. For you indeed are the Lord of the Sabbath. You're the one who describes how man can come to his rest. That we might be able to enjoy the Lord. That we would be able as we enjoy him as we draw near to his presence we would also enjoy some peace that there would be peace for us lord in your presence that we would have an opportunity to reflect on the things that you've done you have saved me you have forgiven me you have healed me you have set me free and we'll be able to celebrate what god has done for a believer in jesus christ every day is a sabbath day
And God is not saying that we say that so that we never reflect on him or draw near to him, but that we would recognize he's worthy. He is worthy of our reflection and our enjoyment and our celebration. He is worthy that we might draw near to him. For he will draw near to us. He is the amazing and holy God. And he wants to walk with us in the cool of the evening. So the Sabbath would begin at nightfall, 6 p.m. Reminiscent of those walks Adam would take with God in the garden in the cool of the evening. And it would end in the cool of the evening the next day. Jesus said, man's not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for man. And he is our Sabbath. We find rest in him. We find everything that we need in him. And now unto him who is able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. According to the power that works in us through his Holy Spirit. He is able. I hope today you know him. You know his peace. You have a relationship with him not built on ritual, not built on some kind of idea of how we're going to please God in the sacrifices that we make, but that we would understand what it means when God says, I desire mercy. That we would come. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And we would experience the peace that Jesus Christ gives. So Lord, be glorified, be magnified in this place. We give you praise in it all in Jesus' name. Amen.